says, I will, Jesus says, build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That sounds like a victorious church, right? So it's built, if it's built on the revelation, the opening of our eyes of our heart, of seeing who he is and stepping into that and stepping into the kingdom of God that he reveals to us and walking in that, uh, it is going to prevail and, and, and be victorious. But the who is this? How, how did God reveal himself? Well, in Genesis chapter 1, he reveals himself as a team and a partnership. Let us make man in our own image, in, in our plural likeness. And so he's a team, he's a partnership, and therefore the church being built in his image is a team and a partnership. Church equals partnership. Partnership to spread the gospel to, and, and uh, the kingdom of heaven into every village, city, and nation, every people group on the face of the earth. We are a partnership. And specifically, according to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, a partnership of translocal team, saints, elders, and deacons. Simple, simple model. And it's, we, we, we do veer off these simplicities to much to our chagrin. Is that the right word? Much to our chagrin? Does that make and we need to keep it simple and keep it biblical. So what I want to do is today is look at these four roles in the New Testament. If you could turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, and we'll look at it together. This is simply Paul's address of his letter saying a greeting at the beginning of the letter. And he says, Paul and Timothy. That's who's writing the letter. Paul and Timothy. That's the first group of people. Paul and Timothy, who are they? Translocal team. Some people may say apostolic team. I prefer translocal. Doesn't matter. They're not local. They're not based in Philippi. They don't live there. They're not the pastors of the church there. They're writing it from another city. They're from the outside. Translocal team. Paul and Timothy, right? Two, or excuse me, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the, number two, saints. That's all of us, saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the, number three, bishops, which is a term in the New Testament interchangeable with the concept and role of elder. So you could might as well say elder. You can. Um, that's number three. And deacons, number four. Translocal team, saints, elders, or bishops, and deacons. So last week... Nope, we're not going to do that. Translocal team. Let's look at Paul and Timothy at the, at the, at the first. And I'm going to pick on a couple of people in, in, in just a second. Translocal team. Paul and Timothy. Who are these people? As I just said, they are people involved with the local church, but from outside of the local setting. They come in from the outside. They stay there, but it's not, it's not permanent. They're not based there. They're there temporarily. Rodney and Anita right now. Much of you, will, many of you will be very happy. They're there translocally. They're not basing in Cobbtown. They're not living in Cobbtown. Uh, well, you never know what's going to happen in a year's time, but, but that is not the plan for sure. They are there translocally. And, uh, because, so, and I love the fact that they're there for a full year. Because in modern day, the way things work, it's kind of hard from a financial perspective, from a logistical perspective, for us to have translocal deposits that last for weeks and months on end. But in Paul's time, you would usually stay in a church for months and months, if not longer. And so there's a, a, a beautiful thing happening that's translocal. Paul and Timothy are translocal. And if you let's look at even the idea here. 
Paul, who is Paul? Why is he writing a letter to Philippi? Paul, if you don't know, planted the church in Philippi. He started it. So he was on a mission of planting many churches, and Philippi was one of those. Amazing story, Acts chapter 16, if you, if you want to look at the origin of the church in Philippi. Paul planted it. He was kind of like a father figure, but he kept on going from there into other places. So he wasn't based in, in Philippi, but he had an ongoing relationship from the outside. Hopefully that makes sense. That's translocal apostolic team. Now, Timothy, where does this guy come from? Most of you kind of vaguely know there's a letter in the New Testament called 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. Who is this guy? Timothy, and why is he writing with Paul to Philippi? Timothy is a young man, a tended-to-be-timid guy, kind of insecure, from a, an area called Lystra and Derbe, another city 600 miles from Philippi. What in the world is he doing writing a letter to Philippi? Because as he grew in Derbe, where he was originally planted, the church that he was originally part of, his gift began to emerge. He emerged eventually and was asked by Paul to come on to Paul's team. As Paul went around planting churches, some emerged as having what we call uh, Ephesians 4.11 gifts or fivefold gifts, gifts that are given to preach and teach and to equip the saints. Timothy was one of those, comes on to Paul's growing team, and Paul sends him to Ephesus. And we can assume, because of this, he obviously had spent time in Philippi, that he was writing and known in that church. You, we good? So I'm going to uh, ask a couple volunteers who aren't volunteers, but I'm going to ask you to come up, and we're going to do a little illustration real quick. So how about, uh, how about Rebecca Agbaruche? Eh, why not? And uh, let's go with uh, John David. And uh, why don't we do a little bit of Alex? Are you good? All right, Alex. How many do we have? Three? We need two more. I think Chris is feeling the anointing. So Chris and uh, Raynell, are you good? Good? Uh, I can sense the enthusiasm. Just so you guys know, you're not going to have to say a thing. You're going to have to stand. Can you do that? That's it. That's all you got to do. Stand. Because I could tell by the enthusiasm that you were wondering what the heck are you volunteering to do. So, yeah, this is easy. Just stand here. And if I could maybe out of the five of you, maybe have, like, stand in two rows, maybe two up here and three, three behind, is just in whatever order at all. All right. So, these lo- give them a hand, by the way. Let's. I mean, haven't they done such an amazing job? Stellar. So, these lovely people and handsome people represent cities. More in particular, harvest harvest in the cities. Because when we work into cities, there's a harvest, a harvest of people and a harvest of what's going to happen in the lives of those people as they follow Jesus. So uh, Chris here, um, I'm going to go ahead and, and name name the first two. So this is Detroit, right? <laughs> Detroit. And, 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 and to bring it home, why don't we say Border City Church to make it real, like, hit home. Now, this illustration is almost going to look like Border City Church is trying to form its own apostolic team. Let me make it clear. We're not, and we don't need that. We're already a part. We're already partnered with an apostolic team. But I want to show you how such a thing formed in the ministry of Paul so that we can understand 
the how and the why of this big picture. Got it? So here in Border City Church, Detroit, let's say that there are wonderful people, which there are, and there are fivefold teacher gifts that are on an apostolic team. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. Those are the five gifts of the fivefold ministry. And let's say there's, there's some teachers at Border City Church. And then over here, we got Raynell, who represents Savannah, Georgia. Is that cool with you? Good. You're Sav- <laughs> it does. It does, man. We've got to flip it around. But we're, we're good. We'll just roll with it. So we got Savannah over there. And God is saying there is harvest over here. I believe that, you know, that God is the one who opened that door. And, and so there's harvest over there. Well, how many of you know when God says there's harvest, harvest just doesn't come, right? What farmer out there just says, ooh, I feel in my spirit there's going to be a harvest on my farm. I can't wait to just kind of see it. You got to get out there and plant some seed. You got to get out there and grind, right? And uh, so if we're going to see harvest in, uh, in uh, Savannah, we need to invest with risk, even like a farmer. If it doesn't rain well that year, you might not know what kind of harvest you're going to get. You, you invest, and that's what we're doing as a church right now, investing. Nothing getting in return, a whole lot of investment. But let's take this hand. Is it, oh, this is getting serious now. And No, no, you're all good. Just stay, just stay kind of arm length apart. These five areas, these five cities, you may notice, had no connection. They're not touching each other. They don't know each other. They don't mix. But all of a sudden, because of what just happened, there's a teacher gift that was now taken to go help what God wants to do over there. And you know what's happening over here now? Saints are being equipped. They are encountering Jesus. They are being equipped and growing. And you guys know, Rodney need to carry something to help people grow. And, 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 and some of the harvest that's coming out is there's people getting saved, but there's also testimonies of people's lives being changed, people getting breakthrough from things that they used to be bound by. There's the things of the kingdom entering into people's life. And from all of that, guess what else? There begins to emerge somebody with a true fivefold pastoral gift. I know that that's this confusing because most of us, when we go to church, we call the guy the pastor. That's not exactly biblical. Uh, churches are led by elders who have a shepherding function. Pastor is one of the five gifts. A person who leads a church may or may not have the gift of pastor. Let's say a, a true fivefold gift of pastor. There's somebody over there, and they start to emerge and their character is being developed, and they're, you know, serving, and, and there comes to a place where we've seen their character, they've served over a period of time, they can now come onto this apostolic team. So now we have teachers, and we have a pastor. Not Raynell, but he represents the group in Savannah, right? Who knows? He could be a pastor. We don't know. So now we have this, but now we need to keep on moving. Because while these people are reaching their area, they also need to be reaching other areas simultaneously. They're reaching over there. But there's, there's, is there more harvest yet to be reached? So let's name a city. You guys give it to me. Same, in our region, whether it's on the east side of the United States or somewhere around there. Royal Oak? Let's go further. Let's go further afield. 
Okay, Ohio, I'm not going to, okay. <laughs> Chicago. Did you say that? You said Kalamazoo? Who said Chicago? Chicago. We'll go with Chicago. So Mr. Alex over there, he's going to be Chicago. So now we've got, we've got resources here. We've got resources here. We've got teacher, and they, we've shared a teacher over here, and now there's a pastor over here. And now t- pastor, teacher, people from here, people from here can partner together in whatever way God leads them to start reaching into Chicago. Chicago. <laughs> Start reaching Chicago. And now we got the same thing happening over there. Now there's people getting saved. There's something starting. There's testimonies happening. It's a harvest. There's people getting a, a breakthrough and people uh, uh, discovering their call and beginning to step into it. The gifts of the Spirit are starting to flow from people who have never been used of God in that kind of way. There's stuff of the kingdom happening. And you know what else? Over here, there is a prophet that begins to rise up. And, and they're being trained, and their character is being seen and known to where eventually not only are they working into their local church, but now they are useful to help other churches because you know what? Every church needs to get input from a prophet, prophetic input. So now Mr. Teacher is helping out over here, and Pastor is helping out over here, and we've got Prophet, and there he's helping up, and you know what else? We need to go somewhere else as well. Ooh, that was, that was a little rough. So name another city. Fargo? Fargo. I mean, right? Fargo needs Jesus. I'll go with that. You'll go. (laughs) I'll go with it. You go, though. So you're going to be Fargo. There we go. So are you seeing that there's a connection now of people across our country who had never even connected, where all of a sudden they are stronger and being equipped from things that they didn't even have locally that they need, but you can only find it when we connect at some, a level bigger than ourselves. And so the same thing is happening in Fargo. And in Fargo, uh, we've got people saved and all those good things. And there's an evangelist that rises up in Fargo. In Fargo, that evangelist needs to be released to equip the saints to be evangelistic and to reach their area. And so we need to reach one more city Windsor, there we go, and that is Windsor right here, and so we, we connect over here in Windsor, man, there's stuff that's happening in Windsor, it's so awesome, it's Border City Church, and we cross that border, and we cross the borders of culture, and race, and socioeconomic levels, and we see something coming together in the kingdom that has nothing to do with naturally being fit together, but being supernaturally fit together, because we all worship one Lord, have one baptism, one faith. You follow what I'm saying? We are brought together as one people, and uh, even with Canadians, and um, and a, an apostle is is raised up here. And so now that all of these gifts are joining a team, and we're able to help each other out. And this is just the beginnings, right here. Because this is not a closed loop. It goes on. We're constantly reaching our own local area, but constantly together in partnership wanting to move further. You seeing that? You may sit down. Thank you, guys. Isn't that awesome? Give them a hand. <laughs> Master thespian. <laughs> so I say all of that just to share with you maybe a, hopefully a, a visual illustration of what what we are talking about when we say 
apostolic team in NCMI. That's it. You just saw a picture. There are certain ones that come, and, 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 and uh, we need to have the gifts and resources of one church partnered with other churches in partnership to keep on strengthening one another and reaching further afield. That's it. Like, that is it. It doesn't get any more, like, technical and corporate than that. It really is just that. Now, I just want to share a couple of thoughts on that. Paul the Apostle, when you look into the New Testament, you're going to find at least 76 people who are named in the book of Acts and in the letters that he wrote as being part of this team that he had that were helping out other churches. So he was sending Titus to Crete. He sent, for example, Timothy to Ephesus. He sent Epaphroditus to uh, Philippi. He sent... uh, Uh, Titus also uh, was in Corinth at some point. You just start to see this interworking of churches, that churches aren't existing as a silo. They are eventually resource bases to keep on reaching further afield. And um, what are these five-fold gifts, translocal team, apostolic team, whatever? What's their role and responsibility? Are you ready? Here it is. First off, according to Ephesians 4, Verse 12, they are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Paul says that Jesus, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men. He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. There's that word again, saints. One of the four roles that we mentioned, equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. Well, sometimes we get into this place where we think that the ministry is done by ministers, the paid professionals. In the original intent of God, God looks at every person as a son or a daughter with an inheritance from the Father to represent him in the earth and a high calling. There are no elitist paid professionals in the church. Sure, there are some called vocationally to lead, but that doesn't mean that they're any more in ministry than any other one of you. We need to be equipped for the work of the ministry. Secondly, the translocal team are responsible to keep the church on track and in order. Paul says in uh, Titus 1 verse 5, For this reason, Titus, I sent you to Crete, that you may set in order those things that are lacking and ordain elders in every city. Setting in order. Now, how many of you know you by yourself can sometimes get out of order, get off the right track. We need other people in our lives to help us kind of stay in order. Do you know the same is true for a local church? As best as they can, the eldership have the ability to get distracted, get kind of get off course, and we need translocal objective perspective from the outside to be able to help us to see that. Sometimes we can just get kind of get tunnel visioned. So they keep things, set things in order, and then thirdly, and very importantly, is ordain elders, also from Titus chapter 1, verse 5. Ordain elders. Why is that important? I'll explain that later. But only translocal team, anywhere in the New Testament, elders are only ordained by translocal team, and that's to keep the church safe. I'll explain that, as I said, in a minute. So why do we need to know this? I hope that even in sharing that illustration that these beautiful, beautiful people just got up here and and did for us, that you and I can see 
that my little life here in Detroit is part of a bigger picture of what God sees. Every decision I make, everything that I'm doing or not doing is either helping or not helping towards the goal of taking this gospel and discipling all nations. That you can lean your life in, even if you don't know how, to the desire of God to be a part of the bigness of what he's doing of discipling all nations. Starting with reaching our own city, yes, but we don't wait till the whole of Detroit is reached before we start looking further afield, or else we never will look further afield. We have to do it simultaneously, local and translocal. And I want everybody in here to know, even you strengthening the local church plays a role in this church having resource to be able to give to something else. It is a privilege to be partnering with Savannah, Georgia right now. It is a privilege. What harvest from our seeds that we're planting right now are we together going to see there? And one day be able to say, thank you, Jesus, that by your grace, we got to be a part of that. And not to mention what's, what is yet to happen here in this awesome city of Detroit. So I would, I would encourage you on that note. And secondly, I would encourage you to receive equipping when there are translocal gifts that come in and visit Border City Church. It's not just guest preacher. It's partnership. It's people who are in our kidneys, who are, you know the details. Well, not every one of them, but certain ones we have regularly. We're in ongoing conversation. They're investing. That ch- those churches that they come from are investing into us just like we're investing into Cobtown and into Savannah. Why are they doing that? Because there's gifts that are to equip us. So receive. Open up your heart to receive the equipping is what I'm saying. Um, Tyron Daniel, I believe he's got a, an apostolic gifting. So there, there's something of causing us to become apostolic, to, to, to live for the mission. Remember Hilton and Riza Rose that came? Hilton is as prophet as you can possibly be. <laughs> Many of you would know. And, and being with him helps us to become prophetic. We start actually rising up in faith that we can prophesy and tapping into that kind of dimension where it's actually accessible and normal. You follow what I'm saying? Receive, that's just two examples. So receive equipping. Let's talk about saints. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ to all the saints. Who are the saints? Saints are those who have become born-again believers through faith in Jesus. What is their role? Well, first of all, who is the saints? That is, if you have received Jesus, you are a saint. Did you know that? You have, because through faith in Jesus, you have been made holy. You may have issues in your life that are still uh, coming into the order of Jesus. Rebecca smiles and nods. All of us do. Uh, and so, so you have a hard time, some of us, is saying, I'm not a saint. You are. If you've received Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you in a part of your being that is intrinsically inseparable from the Godhead is holy and is a part of who you are. You are a saint. You're not trying to become holy. You're trying to release the holiness that has already been deposited inside of you. You are a saint. And what is the role of uh, saints? Saints do the work of the ministry. To equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. When Paul, uh, when Jesus says that he is commissioning his church to, oh my gosh, to, um, to uh, um, make disciples of all nations, that is primarily going to happen through the saints. We, you and I, are going to reach people in our locale 
We're going to share the gospel with people. We are going to pour our lives into people and, and to strengthen them. And we are going to be in community groups and to share things. Mickey, I think of times with Mickey when he just opens up his mouth and shares in community group. And it's just so real and so love and so Jesus and it encourages people. Or when somebody else shares and, and it's just, you know, there's a, a perspective that kind of helps another person. Or maybe another person uh, has... Uh, a prophetic word that really encourages and helps a person break through that night. They came in feeling forlorn and they leave feeling lifted because of something. That, you see what I'm saying? That's all done by the saints. So how do we do this? How can we actually do the work of the ministry? Three things. Number one, speaking and relationship. What I just described. Speaking. Where do I get that? Ephesians chapter 4. This very fivefold gift passage of scripture goes on to talk about how the saints do the work of the ministry and it's speaking. Speaking the truth in love may grow up into all things, even him who is the head, Christ. That's the church speaking one to another in love. Speaking through relationship. That's why community group is so important. How many of you know there are very few people speaking the truth in love in this very moment? Right? One guy with a microphone. But if you're the ones who are supposed to do the work, we need places where we gather where you can speak. Speak in relationship doesn't have to be a community group. It can be you texting and picking up the phone and having coffee throughout the week. Number two would be the spiritual gifts. 1 Corinthians 12. Tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, workings of miracles, healings, uh, words of wisdom, words of knowledge. There are nine of them. That's another way. All of those are giving, given for the building up of the body of Christ, is what uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 says. Edifying the body of Christ. And then thirdly, so speaking gifts of the Spirit, and then some of you might remember at the end of last year, remember, do you remember a thing called gifted? Everybody in here, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8, you have a gift, a grace gift. That's the third thing, finding your grace gift and doing it, serving the church around you and even other churches with your grace gift. That's the saints. That applies to everyone. Do you know that every elder in a church is also a saint? Every deacon is a saint. Every translocal team member is a saint. Do you know every translocal team member in the call of God should be planted in a church and accountable to elders in a church? Just like every other saint. None of us are exempted. We're all saints. So it applies to all of us. All of us do the work of the ministry. It's not like the equippers just do the equipping. That's all they do, and then you guys do the work. No. We're all, yes, they do the equipping, but then they also go do as a saint the work that everybody else needs to be doing also, right? So those are the saints. What can you do with that? I would say lean in to strengthening other people around you through speaking, through spiritual gifts, and through your grace gift, strengthening the church. Lean into that. That's your mission, baby, here on this earth, to build the church, starting with the church in which we are planted. What about these elders? Who are they? You may notice, well, that's a bad example. I was going to say you may notice I don't have gray hair, but I got tons of it. So, elders, what are elders? Elders, as the name would imply, does suggest being older, but actually the original Greek isn't really that idea. But the idea is that the spiritually kind of more mature ones that have been identified as having a life that can be followed. Not because it's just like a great life, but because this person has verifiably taken on a kind of shepherding responsibility 
uh, for the flock, and should the flock follow them, we can trust that they're going to lead people to nowhere else other than Jesus. That's what an elder is. That makes sense? Elders are shepherds of the flock, according to Scripture. I, this is hugely important. Most problems that we see in church happen as a result of bad leadership. I mean, it, it only makes sense. Everything is being led by somebody. If things get off course, you can point the finger at the followers, but at the end of the day, it's bad leadership. If that's the case, that, that off leadership is at the root of so much of the abuse and the dysfunction and the things that we see today in modern-day church that have caused people to want to abort church. There are people that are so hurt by church that they can't even come into church because it's too painful because of what it represents from the PTSD that they've experienced in church. Uh, folks, like, pause and hit pause and take note. We're talking about church. You know what I'm saying? Like, how did we get there? How do we get there that people are leaving church from having PTSD from being in God's family? Like, that's bad. And I'm, what I'm telling you is categorically, almost, if not all of it, is because of leadership. Now, if it's because of leadership, then we have to look at how are we re- identifying, raising up, and releasing leaders. That's the problem. How you identify and raise up and release leaders. If you, if, if, because, let me get to what I'm saying. If we are releasing leaders because they have great charisma, they can draw a crowd, they are anointed and can, you know, flow in the gifts of power and healings are happening, and all of these things, and yet there's not character, then the church is going to ultimately suffer. This is why in the New Testament, when it talks about ordaining elders, 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1, you don't hear a thing about, do they draw a crowd? Are they able to raise money? Are they persuasive and charismatic? Are, how anointed is their ministry? You don't hear any of that. You hear, are they the husband of one wife? Are they temperate? Are they sober? Are you following? It's character. What's their life when there is no pulpit? What does that look like? And can I say that implies that we do church in a way that we know each other? How could Timothy or Titus know that the person is sober or temperate or in a good space with their wife if we don't really know the real us? So when that light goes off and the show is done, that's where it matters. Its elders are identified at that level. And if, they, and if we create an environment and culture where that is who is leading the church, the church becomes healthy because those who are leading it are healthy. And we don't have this PTSD nonsense. Uh, guys, I'm wanting to propose to you that the horrors of church actually have simple biblical solutions. That work that I have seen work. Amen. So what is the role of an elder? One is elders are responsible for and accountable to Jesus for the flock that they lead. 
every person in this room will one day give an account to the judge. Elders will also give an account to the flock that they led. Now, can I say, how many of you want to be an elder now? But the thing is, if our fear of that, of having to give an account one day, makes us feel as though we don't want to say yes to the call, I guarantee you when we go before the king, he will be more happy if we responded to the call, even though we didn't know how we could be good enough to do it, as opposed to burying our gift because we didn't want to do anything wrong. I mean, I've got a parable to back up that that's what Jesus thinks, the parable of the talents. So don't let what I just said scare you away from rising up in your call. Jesus would be more happy if you, by faith, trust him to help you do what you otherwise feel like you can't do, rather than just saying, well, I just can't do it. No, it's always going to be by his strength and faith anyway. So they're responsible and accountable for the local church. We get that from Acts chapter 20, verse 28, and Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Also, also from Acts 20, verse 28, elders shepherd the flock of God and oversee the local church. Shepherd the local church and oversee it. Shepherd, what does that mean? It means that we are all like God's sheep. And by the way, that would imply we easily go astray, and we do. You guys know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all are feeling holy one day, and the next day you are having thoughts that have nothing to do with faith. And so we, we easily go astray. And when I say we, I'm including in that elders. Because elders need elders. That's why we need a multiplicity. And that's why every time in the New Testament, there, it never talks about the elder of a church. It talks about elders, plural, because there's safety in team. And that's what we want. Sometimes when you're planting a church, you don't have two elders. And so there are things that you can do to kind of fill in that gap. But ultimately, you want team. And uh, elders are to be amongst the flock but leading out ahead. Not top-down commanding everybody below them what they must do. Modeling something that other people can follow. I want to say Peter and John David, for me, and see, this is the great thing. Paul says to Timothy, let no man despise your youth. Because Timothy was a young dude, probably a teenager, leading a church in Ephesus. And the idea was Timothy had been released not because of his age, but because he had, he was, his life was worth following. And I want to say Peter and John David. I look at what happened last night, and I think I want to follow that. That is, I, I, is what I want to do. I think we can all be inspired by what they're doing, stepping outside of their comfort zones for the sake of other people encountering Jesus. Amen? So it doesn't matter how old you are. That includes some of you who think you're too old. We, we can all follow Jesus and become a model that other can follow. others can follow. Uh, so <clears throat> shepherding and overseeing, I don't want to get too much bogged into detail. Just a couple thoughts I want to toss out there about eldership so that we kind of understand how all this works. Elders are always ordained by translocal team. Elders do not ordain other elders. Why is that important? Because, well, we can get to, we'll just ordain those who are yes men, who are going to do whatever and agree with everything that we say. You can kind of get off that. Or you can kind of have like, oh, I like that guy, but I don't like them, so let's not ordain elders. Translocal team are able to come in with an objective perspective and see things about people that we might become blind to. 
I've seen in times past, the eldership team have been raising up and training certain ones that they felt like could be prospective elders. Translocal team comes in and is able to say, hey, I don't know if you know this, but that dude's got an anger issue. And it's actually, that's, you ordain them, then we are all going to be accountable for that anger issue. I think that we need to help them with the anger issue before we release them. You, you Making sense? It's, that is a safe environment. All done in love. Not making this guy deal with his anger issue so he jumps through the hoop so he can be good enough to be... It's not that. It's loving a person into their calling, all for the safety of the flock. Translocal team helps to identify that kind of stuff. They're able to... And it makes the translocal team accountable for who is ordained as elders. So that if something goes askew because of bad leadership, there's somebody else who's standing and holding account, held account for that. Hope that, hope that makes sense. That creates a safety for the church. Uh, we already talked about multiplicity. If eldership is the design of God, which we clearly see, then every saint and even every elder needs other elders. We all need to be planted in local church. Uh, and I would say for us here in uh, Border City Church, it says, 1 Timothy 3, if any man desire, desires the office of an elder, he desires a good work. And, I, and so for me, when I read that scripture, that says there's an encouragement to desire more leadership. I used to think, oh, I'm, I, don't, I shouldn't desire that. I mean, that's like I shouldn't desire title and position and power and all that kind of stuff. And, and Paul is saying, no, desire to serve there, but it's a good work. It's not power and position and title and all that. It's work. But desire it. Desire it. The church need God needs those who are going to desire to lead the flock for us to have good leaders. It begins with desire. So I would encourage every person in here, desire to grow in your leadership. And then lastly is deacons, and then we'll shut it down. You good? Deacons comes from the Greek word diakonos, which simply means servant. And in that sense, Every single person who is a saint, of, a, a born-again believer, is a deacon. In fact, Paul himself uses that word to describe, he says, uh, he calls himself a diakonos of Jesus Christ. So all of us are servants. Does that make sense? But there are, other than that, there's an office of deacon. All of us are deacons in so much we're servants, but then there's an office of it would almost be easier to understand if we stopped calling it deacon and just called it servant. <laughs> and there's an office of servant. We're all servants, but they're an office of servant. And who are those people? If you look at Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, you will see the first, I believe, installed deacons in a local church. They are those who are entrusted with kind of the oversight of a serving area. Specifically, serving God in three ways. Serving God in because that's what their heart is, but serving God by taking weight off of elders. Is it because elders are the, the kings that must be exalted on their holy throne and we must never let them work? We must No, it's that elders biblically have a certain role and responsibility that if they get bogged down in the minutia of ministry, they can't do their work. 
So the idea is for the big picture, deacons come along to take weight off of elders and ultimately what they do to take weight, in the case of Acts chapter 6, serving tables to the widows who didn't have their own provision, it was serving people. So you're serving God by taking weight off the elders by serving people. In this church, uh, Bob and Chris uh, Steenberg are deacons. Peter and John David are deacons. Mickey is a deacon. All of them are biblically fulfilling the mandate of qualifications as well as the function of deacons. And aren't you so glad that we have them? Bob and Chris, just to brag on them, uh, are overseeing hospitality. You know, sometimes we walk into church and we kind of like don't really think about like, you know, it's just, you know, it's church. We got coffee, got this stuff. Well, you know, some people have to show up here and like make that happen. You know, Priscilla gets that this morning. So Bob and Chris oversee hospitality. They oversee setup, the, all the stuff that's set up. And they also have a community group that meets in their home, as you, as you well know. That's deaconing. That's serving. There's a leadership element to it. And I just want to read this, for, and then we'll close. First Timothy 3, verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing, like a good reputation amongst the church. Wouldn't you say that's true of the deacons here? I mean, people think of Mickey. No one thinks, oh, I'm not sure about that Mickey guy. No, everyone in here knows that is somebody that we are happy to have. He is blowing wind in our sail. Everybody knows Peter and John David, they are helping the ministry of this church. Bob and Chris, they have a good standing. People have seen their faithfulness, seen the love in their heart. They have a good standing. That's, that's one of the joys of being a deacon. You have a good standing and bold, great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. I believe I've seen an increase of boldness, especially with the, I mean, Bob was a pastor in his, you know, history and stuff, and so he's had a lot of experience, but I've, maybe there's an increase of boldness, I don't know, but definitely with these three, there's an increase of boldness that comes from getting, this is the way I like to look at it. Think of the ministry as like a vortex of the Spirit of God on the earth. And all of us have the opportunity to, to release our lives and to jump into that vortex. Does that make sense? It's like a momentum. And by being a deacon, it's simply just saying, I am throwing my weight into giving of my time, of my energy, my focus, to prioritize the ministry getting done and throwing yourself into it. Does it require sacrifice? Absolutely. But all of us, whether we're in the office of deacon or not, need to be... Th- we should be desirous to jump into the vortex. Does that make sense? That's kind of a weird illustration, but we'll roll with it. It's, I don't know, it's like a, it's like a, like a, like a cyclone, you know what I mean? It's like a tornado. It's like a power of, uh, that you can just jump into and get into what God is doing in the earth and give yourself to it. That's the idea. You want to be in what God is doing. So, let's pray. And, um, and what I'd like to do is, um, yeah, let me just kind of say that again. Translocal team are equipping, keeping the church on track and in order, and they are ordaining elders. Saints are doing the work of the ministry. They speak, they flow in the gifts of the Spirit, they operate in their grace gifts. Elders are shepherding and overseeing the flock, and they're responsible for the flock and accountable to Jesus for the flock. 
and deacons are coming along to serve in practical ways and oversee. We get all of these working together, we can be a part of what God's doing. So I think the only way to respond is to open up our hearts to say, yes, Lord, I want to be in this hour, in this season, a part of what you're doing. One of the challenges of a pastor is it is so difficult sometimes just to get people, believers, to think beyond themselves and to think in terms of the local church, to live for the building of the local church, to live for something beyond their own house, their own struggles, their own challenges at the home life, and to live in the context of local church. But guys, that's not big enough, even that. We need to be living in the context of Jesus' words that says, go and make disciples of all nations and go preach the gospel to all nations to carry God's heart for the world by throwing ourselves into what's right in front of us. So let's pray. Lord, we do 